thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. are up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Cindy O'Meara and I'm here by myself without Kim and Karen because when two young women walk into your life, um, as these two women that I'm about to um, interview did, uh, you just got to interview them. You just got to ask them a lot of questions. And my daughter Tanya asked me a couple of days ago, she said, Mom, I've got two friends coming. Can they stay? And I just assumed you two were surfers. That was my thought that you were surfers because I always get surfers. And I must admit, when Tanya brings somebody into our lives, um, sometimes they stay a long time. Like the last one, Catherine, stayed five months and I will be marrying her. Um, and I'm a celebrant at her marriage in, well, I'm going to Sun Valley, um, Idaho to marry her. And that's how close I get to these young people that she brings home. So I felt when I met you too that, and I will explain who they are, don't you worry, um, that I really thought that my listeners would really love to hear who you are. So the first is Kate Williams and Kate um, has started a company called Retreat Yourself, and I'll let her explain what that's all about. And she's studied at the IIN and, and done holistic nutrition, um, as well as being a personal trainer. And we also have Hannah Buttigy. And I said that right, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> um, now, you're going to just, like, I was blown away when she told me what she did. But she is a forensic drug and alcohol worker. She's a nutritionist and a counsellor. She works in the field of addiction and behaviour change. Um, and is the owner of Food Intelligence and um, works on triggers, stresses and vulnerabilities and focuses on strengths with people. So this is who you're going to be listening to for the next hour. So I'm going to start with you, Kate. Sure. Um, welcome. Thank you. Can you explain to me what? how did you get into Retreat Yourself and what is Retreat Yourself? Uh, I got into Retreat Yourself because uh, I've always been interested in helping people in some way or another. Um, I didn't really know how that was going to look, so I went travelling, ended up um, in the corporate industry in Melbourne, and I really, it really got me questioning the way that people live their lives and, um, you know, being stuck in the kind of cycle of um, society. And so you were questioning that then, how people live their lives. Mm-hmm. How old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 30. You know, so, you, you know, you to be questioning that, because, I, you know, I've questioned it at my age, but yeah. I find that at 30, to question how people live their lives. Yeah, I'd been, because I left New Zealand um, when I was 20 to go travelling, so I'd kind of had a lot of experience in, like, third world countries and things like that, and it seeing the other side of um, the way that people live really gave me a whole new perspective. So, um, and then I realised that after doing some um, bikini body challenges and things, um, and having come from a background of having, like, disordered eating, um, I realised that so many people put... um, they measure their health by the way that they look and not so much by the way that they feel. So I was really um, interested in going down the path of helping people kind of from the inside out and a holistic kind of view of health. Uh, so while I was at that corporate job in Melbourne, I started studying at IIN. Um, and I went travelling again and decided that um, I wanted to create a program for people around uh, self-confidence and um, building self-esteem and things like that so that you felt good about yourself before you started on the healthy eating um, side of things. So that didn't work for me. Um, 
started a blog, wanted to start an online program, and there was still a bit of a stigma around like life coaches and things. Uh, and so I had kind of thought about it a bit more and I was like, what do people want and how am I going to interest people that want to improve their lives? And the, uh, the idea for the boxes came up. So it was really like people are interested in receiving the products and, you know, it looks really pretty. And then um, the magazine opens people up to new ways of looking at their health and life. So that's so let's I- talk about the boxes. So you, um, the first time I ever knew about your box um, that you send out is that you sent Tania one and Monique. And yeah. Monique is my son's girlfriend. Um, who's doing nutrition, and I watched them on their Instagram opening them, and I went, oh, this looks exciting. This looks really good. So um, what is the box all about? So the box is um, it's a seasonal health and wellness subscription box. So every three months at the start of the season, a new box is released. Uh, every box has 10 to 15 sample and full-sized health and wellness products, and they're all uh, sourced from natural and organic Australian brands. So really trying to support the people that have, you know, quit their nine-to-five job and, um comfortable salary to start something new so I really wanted to support people in that way Um, and the boxes also contain a magazine a wellness magazine with articles and recipes and things like that from all different health and wellness gurus across Australia Uh, and then there's a day plan in the box which explains how to create a day retreat at home using all the products so it's really encouraging self-care and health on every level. So, yeah, I remember one of, one of the things I saw, we want you to create a life you don't need to escape from, where you feel inspired to take care of yourself on all levels, mind, body and soul. Because so many of us leave our homes, homes to go on holiday. Yeah. And I've often heard, you know, why, don't, why can't we live in a place where we're happy to be so we don't have to go on holiday? And is, is that what you're trying to yeah. help people be happy within their own space? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I think that when people are like, when people slow down and they really enjoy their lives and, cre- you know, when I talk about creating a sense of retreat in every day, it's doing a little thing every day that um, makes you feel uh, content and fulfilled uh, and starting to uh, create behaviours that make you feel good about yourself from the inside out. So that's the whole idea of the boxes. It's meant to inspire people to um, feel really good about themselves in every way. So you must be doing this already. Yeah. So how about you give us a few examples of what you do on a daily basis? Um, so every single day when I get up, I take my dog for a walk and sometimes uh Obviously, running a business, there's lots of things that you have to do all the time. So um, I really make an effort when I walk to be really present. So instead of, you know, rattling everything off in my head of all the things I have to do, I'm like aware of the sun on my skin and, you know, the wind in my hair and notice the people around me um, and that kind of thing. So it's kind of like a meditative walk that really um, I meditate, like I do meditate as well, but um I'd make that my time to really do that. So it's a good idea. You know, they call it mindfulness and it's a really good idea just to be present as opposed to away. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose because how busy we are in this like day-to-day life, Mm -hmm. we um, often aren't present and we're not actually experiencing things fully. So you often feel like you need to escape to be able to enjoy what you're doing in the here and now. So yeah, and uh, aside from that, um, a huge one thing I've been talking about in these events I've been running is... Um, different aspects of health with one of them being fun so um, making sure that once a week I go for a hike somewhere new or walk somewhere different or go to a, you know do something differently or um, kind of take myself out of my comfort zone but I think that's really important as well because you don't you need to not uh, get stale like in mm. your everyday so mm. we will talk about the retreat but I think I might ask Ken some questions mm-hmm. now 
All right. So when I met Hannah, the first thing you said, well, you were very quiet. <laughs> yeah, Kate and I were talking so much and Hannah was really quiet. And then I find out that um, Hannah um, has done forensic drug and alcohol work. And so can we talk about that first? And can you talk about, you know, what got you into that? What made you think that that was going to be a cool thing to do at the age of 18 or 19? <laughs> well, I didn't. That was the thing. So when I finished high school, I initially went to a TAFE in Melbourne where I started to study event management. After one term of that, I decided it wasn't for me. So I took the rest of the year off to work in hospitality and then went and spent some time with my brother who was living in England at the time. While I was over there, I thought I probably should do something, you know, education-wise, so I've got something to fall back on. So I enrolled in an arts degree. Um, so I came home and I did two years of that. Um, and while I was doing that, one of my friends asked me if I wanted to go over to Ghana, where she, her father was from. She was um, just completing journalism. Um, and was going over to do an internship there. Um, and because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I love travel, thought, yep, yeah, I'll jump on board that trip. That sounds fun. Um, and then she said, oh, I've got a family friend who runs a human rights organisation. Did you want to do an internship or something there? You know, so you've got something to do while I'm at work pretty much. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, no worries. So it just kind of grew yeah. with it. <laughs> Pretty much. So next minute I'm in Ghana working with victims of rape and defilement, um, helping write policy briefings for parliament and all of this kind of stuff. Um, so that was a really amazing trip. Um, I was away for six months in total um, and I think I would have been or oh, maybe 21 or 22 at the time. Um, and I realised that um, potentially international human rights or international aid wasn't my thing, um, which I was very, I think, lucky to find out early on in my career. So after that trip, I came home, did my final year of uni. Um, following that, I that was back in the day when you still had to hand in a paper copy of your assignment to the <laughs> professor or whatever. So I handed in my final assignment for my undergraduate degree um, as my mum was driving me to the airport to visit my family in Karatha in Western Australia. Um, I was just going there for a two-week holiday because I decided I'd already seen a lot of Australia and uh, sorry, I'd already seen a lot of overseas and wanted to see more of my own country before I did another. Um, overseas trip and while I was there I went into the local Centrelink office to cancel my Oz study um, and the lady I was speaking to said oh you know what were you studying or whatever and I told her and she said oh well this town is so short for professionals being a mining town everyone's a tradie and um, I just have resigned from a job at the local prison um, doing case management stuff with the guys out there, um, you know, I reckon I'd love to have you on board. So I went back to my auntie and uncle's house and called the the number the lady at Centrelink had given me um, and I was pretty much given the job on the spot. So I had to call my poor mother and say, <laughs> I'm not coming home because I'm going to work in a prison. Um, so I did that for a bit and then I went over to um, Thailand and did my dive master and took six months travelling Southeast Asia. Um, and when it was time to come home, I knew I didn't want to move back to Karatha, but I wasn't quite ready to go home to Victoria yet. So I just randomly applied for jobs 
in Broome um, and I was offered a job as a clinician in a local Aboriginal rehabilitation clinic um, and was offered to be put through my full drug and alcohol training. So it's just kind of progressed from there. It wasn't something that I sought out to do. I think that career path definitely found me. Definitely. A bit like sliding doors, you know, you just were in the right place at the right time to put you on the path that obviously you were meant to to be on. Yeah. So working within the Aboriginal people and helping them with, obviously it was drug and alcohol, mm-hmm. were you able to help them? Were you, was there a success there? Um, I think with drug and alcohol, we're taught very quickly that we need to celebrate small successes. Mm. Um, you know, when we look at things from a general public perspective, people think that you're either an addict or you're a reformed addict and you don't no longer use drugs. So with me as a drug and alcohol worker, I will celebrate the fact that somebody is now no longer using dirty injecting equipment and for me that's a huge win because I now know their use is a lot safer or, you know, they're starting to implement non-alcoholic drinks while they're having the alcoholic drink. So, yeah, I would say there's definitely some success there. Um, however, I mean, there are still huge, huge issues within the Australian Aboriginal community, which is, mm. you know, very sad um, and a lot more work needs to go into that. I kind of like to put it in a little bit of perspective because within the white population, there's the same drug and alcohol use. It's just that their population is so much smaller. And what I'm seeing in the Aboriginal people at the moment is back to their cultures and their traditions and trying to get the young people back to their cultures and traditions. And I'm, you know, I'm seeing older or elders starting to get the young people interested. You know, I've been watching documentaries on it and I've met a couple of people. I actually have Bruce Pascoe, um, who wrote the book Dark Emu, um, who is speaking at one of my um, nutrition summits, which is July this year. And he talks about them going um, walkabout with the young men and getting them back to realise that respect that the female was the most respected part of their culture and yet, you know, we see the female abuse now. So, mm. you know, I, I've got hope that that there's a change around with culture and tradition and I also see that with the white person. I see that we've lost our cultures and traditions and therefore we get lost as young people. So mm. it's good to hear, you know, that um, you were able to see what was happening and small wins are are a good thing. Mm. So from there you, um, from Broome, where did you go? Um, I went home to Victoria. Um, Prior to moving home, I got a job as a drug and alcohol counsellor and a part of that role was working with mandated clients. So people, the forensic system says you have to attend drug and alcohol treatment um, otherwise there may be repercussions for you, whether it's prison or, you know, other other outcomes. Um, so that was, um, although I'd obviously worked in a prison before, um, and a lot of my, um, rehab clients were mandated. This was a different, um, client base for me. This was in the mainstream Australian population, which I'd not worked in before because the prison I worked in was also predominantly indigenous people as well. Um, so I did that for quite some time before I took 
six months off work um, and just kind of cruised around, did a bit of retail work, didn't do a lot really. Um, And then, um, yeah, a year to 18 months or so ago, I started working back in the forensic sector um, doing drug and alcohol assessments for the court system or the justice system. Mm. Yeah. But you've also educated yourself. You're a nutritionist and a counsellor. So you're kind of moving away from there and looking at um, the psychology of eating, would I would I say? Yeah. So the way that I um, came about studying nutrition was because my work as a drug and alcohol counsellor was so taxing on myself, um, you know, physically and emotionally, um, I f- found that I needed a better way to look after myself um, I wasn't looking after myself well, um, which is not a good thing to be doing, particularly when your work is so stressful and so demanding. Um, so I started, yeah, studying nutrition. Um, and I initially had no intention of going further with it with my career. I thought I would just study it and see how I would go. Um, and then it was while I was studying, people said, well, you've got all of these behavior change skills and counseling skills, um, because of your work with drug and alcohol. So perhaps you should combine the two, which is how food intelligence came about. Yeah. I I think it's absolutely brilliant. And you're lecturing at Deakin University where I graduated from in (laughs) Warren Ponds. Yeah. You're working as a lecturer there? Uh, No, I'm not a lecturer. I'm a tutor. Oh, a tutor. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm not great with public speaking, so I don't know how I would go with that many people in a classroom. Uh, So, yeah, I do that um, just as a seasonal kind of casual thing, which is really nice. Um, It's really lovely to be able to give back to the institution that I've done Mm. my undergraduate and postgraduate studies with yeah yeah at Deakin both oh wow okay so um are they still teaching the same old nutrition at Deakin that I learned which was still low fat still high carb are they still teaching that not particularly no that I found that Deakin um is very much at the forefront well they're progressive that's wonderful yeah yeah they definitely take on board yeah, new trends, new, new, I shouldn't say trends, that's the wrong word. <laughs> they definitely take on an evidence-based approach, mm. but it's, um, yeah, they do keep up to date with research and data and, you know, every year we're briefed on that and, yeah, it's good. That's great. Good to hear. So you said you weren't good at public speaking or you, you don't feel good about public speaking, but the reason you two are together is because you're doing a tour around Australia at the moment um, and it's um, you're speaking. You're one of the, the, the speakers. Yes. So I'll let Kate fill you in on <laughs> what we're actually doing. But, yes, I um, – I actually met Kate in a, at an event she organised with the yoga studio I go to um, and they approached me asking me to be one of the presenters at that some time ago um, and since then Kate and I have stayed in touch and have become really close friends. So when she was organising these events with Bar Body, she asked me to be one of the presenters. So my presentation's just all about, um, you know, food behaviours and getting in touch with, um, you know, emotional food triggers and cravings and how you can better manage that and the link between your, you know, food habits or behaviours and stress and all that kind of stuff. We might talk a little bit more on that. But first, Kate, do you want to talk about um, why did you decide to, to do these events? Because 
that I know what it's like to put an event on. It's huge. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, you've got all your other things that you're doing. Why did you decide to take this on the road? The reason that I've decided to do um, more events is because I think there are a lot of subscription boxes out there and the business model is really based around discovering new products, which is great and it's the reason why I've done this. But one of the main reasons that I started Retreat Yourself was to genuinely help people learn about their health and learn about um, ways to improve their lives. So I really want, I found events a great way to be able to grow on the brand values and grow on the brand story and also work with like-minded brands who have similar kind of values and beliefs Mm -hmm. and kind of just get in front of people and start talking about what what we're about and helping people to um, feel inspired to improve their lives. So. Well, I know Monique and Tanya were so excited to go to this. Like I saw it on there because I've been away for five weeks overseas. Yeah. And so my way of keeping in contact with the girlfriends and my children and they're like all their, they've got boyfriends, girlfriends, you know, the whole lot is I get on Instagram yeah. and they, you know, they kept talking about it. And I'm like thinking this looks just, this looks amazing. So I didn't get a chance to really talk to them. And I arrived on the Friday, it was on the Saturday and they yeah. were basically leaving as I'm waking up. Mm-hmm. So I didn't get a chance to talk to them about it, but they seemed really excited by um, what you were doing. And did you, is it young people that are coming? Or yeah. Every well, age? Our, our, um, kind of demographic is mainly females in their late 20s, early 30s, uh, and similar to the events as well. So Bar Body are a pretty big, um, they're a pretty big uh, company now, and they've got a lot of um, people that go to their uh, studios. So, and I think that their demographic is very similar to ours. So mainly, yeah, women in their 20s and, and 30s. Uh, now, Bar Body's the, you, it's like ballet on the bar. Yeah, so it kind of so incorporates like bar. Yeah, they use a bar, bar um, within yeah. their training, but it's kind of incorporating like fitness, high-intensity stuff, um, Pilates, uh, yoga stuff. So the the uh, class that they did uh, at the studio at the well, that they're doing at the events is a bar yin class. So it's kind of incorporating yin poses um, yeah, in a bar class. So, ah, yeah, it's very cool. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> and they're all over Australia? Yeah, so I think they've got nine studios. So... Brisbane, they've got one. Um, they've got a few in Sydney. I'm pretty sure they're opening one in Byron Bay or near Byron Bay and then uh, Victoria as well. So, yeah, it's a good opportunity to kind of get out and go to new places. and yeah. Reach so your people. first event was Brisbane, which is gone. No, that was Melbourne. Oh, it was Melbourne you yeah, did your first before. event. Yeah. Okay. And then Brisbane, then Sydney. Yeah, correct. And you guys are just on a road trip, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we kind of timed it well with um, – I partnered with Roxy for the Roxy Pro for their fitness event. So – that was the day after the Brisbane event, so it worked out perfectly. So mm. then we're just doing a bit of a road trip back to Sydney. And Which is nice. Yeah, it's awesome. It's yeah. very cool. It's so. nice and easy. Have you noticed um, with all of your brands that you have in your um, retreat box, mm-hmm. have you noticed there's just a plethora of them at the moment? Yes. Do you, it's growing. This industry is growing, the organic, yeah. natural um, industry. And, yeah. and I noticed you've got food, clothing, cosmetics, um, personal care. What else did you have in there? Um, if, have I got everything? Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty all? much. Yeah, skincare, hair care, anything yeah, to do with, that's right. yeah, yeah. Um, being healthy, I suppose, in any way possible. So, yeah, we try to think a little bit um, outside of the box, I suppose, and I think people also value receiving things that are more permanent rather than something that gets used. So um, in our recent autumn box, we included a stainless steel drink bottle and, there's an article in the magazine around um, plastic and the epidemic of plastic. So, um, yeah, we're trying to be quite 
um, eco-conscious and mm. also you know you can use your drink bottle when you go running or at yoga and yeah they're beautiful in the same color as my brand as well so it works out really yeah. nice I read your magazine I read uh, I loved it I think I it's because <laughs> it's not your uh, people can't see what I'm fiddling with at the moment but it's not your big magazine it's just a small magazine and that, that doesn't mean thin that just means it's what is that a a5 a5 so it's a5 so it's really easy to have in your handbag and to have a read but I was actually reading the plastic and it's interesting I was at a conference um, in the US and um, there were um, stall holders as well as speakers it was the most amazing conference called Caljam and this woman comes up on the stage she only had five minutes to speak and it was about plastic bottles and something that never dawned on me about plastic bottles it's not only the plastic it's not only um, you know what it takes to have water in plastic uh, but what she said was that when you're finished with your plastic bottle, what does everybody do? They put the lid on it. Mm. And there might be three-quarters of the water left in there and then you dump it. She said that that water is never, ever available to the earth again. Yeah. If that plastic bottle doesn't break down, that water is never available to the earth today. And they, she had calculated how much water is now non-available to the earth because it goes into plastic water bottles. Wow. And so that really struck me. Mm, you know, yeah. fair enough, the plastic bottles, but then don't put the lid on. If you are going to use one, do not put the lid on. Take, throw the lid out. Mm. Any food, anything like that, they reckon don't put the lid on. Wow. Because then the water can escape and that's yeah. then available to the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, when I was reading that, I thought, isn't that funny? I'd only just, and I'm, I was on a plane the other day and they always have plastic water bottles for you. And I refuse them. Yeah. And I always take my Voss glass water because for me, um, I travel so much and sometimes they bro something breaks and so I just know I can go and get one of those. I've got the water, I drink it, and then I make teas out of in it. I do all sorts of things with my Voss water bottle as far as um, the food that, and drinks that go in it. And I think it's about people thinking and what your magazine does is you're making people think. Yeah. And that's what's happening, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it's intended to do, yeah. kind of broaden people's uh, minds about ways of looking at your health and other ways of um, looking after the planet and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, and skincare good. I noticed is in there. Yeah. And No, I love that. It. It's absolutely and detoxifying um, your beauty cabinet, which I think everybody needs to do. Yeah. But then I kind of go, well, if we throw it out, then we're just, what are we yeah, doing? Yeah, but if people stop buying so many things, then mm. surely the companies will stop making so much. I'm hoping that that's yeah, how it'll yeah. work anyway. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think people are becoming more and more aware of, skincare and the things that you put on your body um as much as they are to do with uh you know nutrition and things like that mm. so hopefully things will start making a bit of a change i know kim would love to be kim morrison and, mm. and these girls don't even know who up for a chat is by the way um for those people listening they don't even know who we are so they don't know kim and karen exist but <laughs> You know, we all know that Kim does everything to do with self-care and everything to do with essential oils and she has an organic, natural skincare range and she's amazing. Wow. She's, yeah. she's absolutely amazing. So she would love to be asking you a million questions right now. <laughs> um, but too bad, I've got them to myself. Um, and Karen, on the other hand, is all about the mind and working with you know, how can we change the way we think? What are our negative um, thought processes? Um, what does it take to make break a habit and everything? And she takes us down many rabbit holes. So what I would like you to do, Hannah, is maybe talk about how are you helping people? So, you know, there's 
they just seem people just don't seem to change or not everybody some people make changes and they change forever but what about those people that cannot seem to get out of their own way for their own good for their own health for the health of their family and make changes what what is what is what do you think stopping them uh, i think it's very individual i don't think there's um um, easy thing and it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach. Mm. Uh, the way that uh, I work is I, I, oh, sorry, I identify that person's stage of change. So in the drug and alcohol sector, we use that model a lot. Um, so then I can develop interventions to suit that particular person's stage of change. So the type of person you've just explained would be that pre-contemplative stage of change, you know, they may have little insight into what's going on for them and why that particular behaviour is problematic. Um, they might be happy with where they're at, that particular behaviour is serving a function for them, so they're not ready to let go of that and make changes. It could be a number of different things. Even if it's destructive. Yes, because quite often what we believe is destructive for a person may not necessarily be destructive for them and it's serving a function for them in their life, allowing them to carry on, you know, as as much as they can. Mm. So you can't help someone like that, can you? Well, you can and that's, you know, where you look at things um, like, uh, asking questions and phrasing questions around um, evoking change in that person, you know, getting them to self-reflect, asking them what's about important in their lives, you know, their underlying morals and beliefs. I can quite easily sit there with a client and say, yep, you need to change A, B and C because of these particular reasons. But unless that client believes that themselves, they're either not going to change or they'll change short-term and revert back to their old behaviours at generally a, a more detrimental way mm. than what they were previously doing. So it's, yeah, it, it's a bit of a um, tricky one, um, but I think that's where my drug and alcohol work has definitely given me some great insight around that and allowed me to work in that space quite often. I think that... You're working with the hardest group of all. Um, I do. I, I can tell you this: that we know that um, health insurance companies know there's three groups of people. The first group is someone who looks after themselves, like you two do. You know how to look after yourself. You do everything you can to look after yourself. You stay away from the doctor's office because you don't need to go because you you're doing fitness, you're doing exercise, you're self-caring, you're doing everything. So the health insurance companies want to insure you because you don't cost them any money. Then there's the second group that cost them money but not as much and they're people that are open to suggestion they know there's a better way out there they're just not educated and they don't know how to do it and then the third are the ones that go I'm going to smoke drink do drugs eat what I want I don't care just give me a drug and I'll be fine and they don't want to change and I'm I realize that I have no influence on them whatsoever and then I probably will never have influence on them and I don't know how to influence them but I feel like you're almost looking at that group. Am I, am I right? Are you looking at that group? Because they're the group that costs the health insurance companies an absolute fortune, including Medicare, our social medicine. So how do you deal with the group that isn't even open to suggestion or open to change? 
but you have to be there. I know you've got to be there. That's your work. Mm. Uh, are you talking about drug and alcohol or my and private food. practice? All of it. Um, so with my private practice, I I bulk bill um, and it's around a psychological therapies, a lot of funding. Um, so I work quite closely with GPs and other psychologists and whatnot to identify the client's health issues, um, speak to them about what their goals are, their reasons for coming in. So the way that I personally view that is that if one of those clients is coming into my office to see me, a part of them wants to change. Yeah. So therefore they're quite easy to work with. Like, yeah, it might not be, um, you know, getting them to our level of health or our level of mindfulness or whatever. Immediately, it might be smaller steps. It might be more incremental. But if they're stepping foot in my office, on some level, they want to change and they want support, whether it's with, we look at psychoeducation around food choices and those kinds of things to start with and then nut it out a little bit further on down the track. Um, yeah, I'm, and I think with my drug and alcohol work, those clients are mandated to see me. They have to come and see me. So that's a whole another ball game. With that one. I bet it is. Yeah. I bet it is. But I, but I do know that those they do change. They they will make changes in their life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So with your private practice, um, what do you what do you think your success rate is with these people that are um, hang in there, you know, and say, okay, I want to do this because the reason I'm asking is that. You know, I swim with a group of people and there's one guy in that group that no matter what I say or do or help him with, um, he always regresses back to to just the way he's always been in his habits. And yet I know he's not happy there, but he's an intelligent man. So, and because I don't work clinically anymore, you know, I, I just, I don't work one-on-one anymore. I have two other nutritionists that do that for me. I'm you know, I'm struggling at the moment to, you know, try and make changes in his life and help him. Mm. And I think that is a difficult thing and something that we see all too often in the general public. Um, I think that it's what I personally see in my private practice that food, I guess, is similar to drugs in that it just masks an underlying emotion or something like that. Um, and that it's serving a function for that person. So whether they've got an emotional connection to that food, whether um, there's underlying childhood trauma, which quite often through my sessions with clients we find out there is, whether the client's aware of them or not. Um, So it's just about, you know, spending that time and exploring those things. But, again, it's it's a bit of a tricky situation unless you're trained in that field. I definitely wouldn't encourage someone to start exploring that counseling side or that psychological Mm. side of things because you don't want to do more damage than good you know Mm. obviously it's coming from a loving place but there is that concern that that could happen as well Mm. are you talking with anorexia nervosa bulimia no just food addiction or? Uh, yes. Yeah, so I um, don't deal with chronic um, food behaviours. So I don't deal with anorexia or bulimia, anything like that. Quite often I do see um, people that do binge eat um, and other problematic food behaviours. Um, so it's, 
Sorry, what was the question here? Sorry. Oh, just if you were dealing with the bulimias and the nervosas and, yeah. you know, uh, that, you know, because they're a hard group to deal Definitely. with. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. And I think because of my work in the forensic sector is so difficult and is so mm. acute and chronic and down the line, that's not an area that I want to be dealing with in my private practice. Yeah, no, it's a hard area. Yeah. All right, Kate, where, where are you going? Where, you know, like now you've done this, your retreats and your boxes and where are you going now? What's, um, what's as with, with the business? Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously you continue to grow, retreat yourself as a brand. Um, and like I said, growing the brand values outside of the boxes. So I'm really starting to do some research in a bigger event in Melbourne, um, I understand that there's lots of festivals and stuff popping up now. So thinking a bit differently about how I'd go about doing that. So that's something I'm researching at the moment. I'm not too sure when it's going to pop up because the business is very, it's very hands-on. So mm. yeah. Um, but yeah. And are you alone in the business? Uh, I have another girl called Georgia who does, um, works with brands for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've had an intern who's just finished up. So she did a three-month internship. Uh, she was studying marketing. So she did a lot of my uh, social media and things like that. So I probably will look at hiring somebody again to do that kind of thing just because it's pretty um, – social media is a job in itself. Uh, it ever. <laughs> oh, it's so full on. And especially yeah. because my business is primarily marketed through social media, it's hard for me to sell my product in stores because it is changing every three months. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment, just growing it. and. So you, it, it's not only um, like – a subscription, you can sell it in stores as well. You can find them in stores. No, no, no. Oh, okay. No, Just no. when you said in store, I thought, oh. No, yeah, no, I, I can't. I mean, I probably could look at a way of doing it if I just did one box since it is meant to be used as an experience type thing with the retreat at home and you get the magazine. Uh, but I haven't just, I haven't had the time. It's only been, I've only launched um, a year ago, so it's uh, mm. still a baby. So very much in the startup phase still. Mm. Yeah. I noticed that. You know, like everybody's doing um, this at the moment. It's because we're so sick. Mm. And what happens, this is what I see, is that somebody's been sick, they've gotten themselves well, and they um, they then want to tell the world about it. Mm-hmm. And there's so many people. We were talking about Jess Ainsco. You yeah. know, she was one of the most successful bloggers, you know, a million downloads yeah. a month, and everybody was following her because she had helped herself through a gruesome cancer um, that ended up taking her in the end. But she had seven wonderful years um, without being in chemo and things like that. She just did it as naturally as she could. Mm -hmm. So knowing this and knowing the market is um, almost flooded, what's your unique selling um, um, what do they call it? USB. USP? USP. 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 Selling point. Point. That's it. <laughs> USP. I knew it was coming in there somewhere. What's your USP? Uh, I think because the way that my business focuses on like the full picture, it's not just about nutrition. It's not just about exercise. It's not just about self-care. It's everything in one package. Um, that's kind of the business, you know, the business morals and um, beliefs uh, I think that's a bit of a differentiating factor when I think that although there are a lot of people doing stuff within the health industry, often it's just 
in um, you know one particular area. Mm-hmm. So, and when it comes to subscription boxes, I see them popping up all the time. There's um, so many other boxes in in every industry. So there's you know goodness me box who does food. There's Bella box who does beauty, and then there's a million other ones that have started up because. The business model is has been proved to be a successful one. Um, See, I've never seen it before. Yeah, it's huge. They're huge. In yeah, the, I've never seen it before until I and I thought, what a brilliant idea. Yeah, well, they're huge in the states, like massive. Um, um, so now everyone's kind of cottoned on, and I suppose to to make myself my USP um, amongst the kind of subscription box industry is. Um, having an experience around using the products. So mm-hmm. having that day plan and, and encouraging more self-care through that um, and then the magazine with all of the information. So I often have customers, like one of my customers came to my Brisbane event and she was like, I'm so glad that I found your business. Like every three months it gives me the inspiration I need to continue on being healthy and things like that. So that's the reason that I'm, I'm doing it is to get mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But, yeah, and then the event side of things as well just to, again, grow and um, get the, the business beliefs and morals out there. So, yeah, but everything grow, evolves and changes with time. Um, and I definitely, you know, the way that I see the business going now is different than I saw it at the start and I'm sure it will change many more times over the years. But, yeah. yeah. I think um, the whole idea of yours where, you know, you put down a timetable of how to use each of the, the things in the boxes that you, you have in that box um, because then I always see a day to change your life. That's, that's the way I look at things. Sometimes we have to stop our lives and plan or do something different. Don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money or go away. But one of the things that I do on this table that we're sitting on now is that I will um, do a day of manifesting of what do I want for the next year, where am I going, what is it that I need to do, what are my action steps, and it takes me a good day to do it. And I've got a retreat this weekend and one of the things we will be doing is that because it's all very well and good to give information but then they go home and they don't know what to do with it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. what you're doing is you're giving the information, you're telling them what to do with it. They're, you know, if they're going to get the full use of it, they're going to get all the steps that they have to do. Yeah. And, and the magazine, you know, to learn more in, interesting information and, yeah. and what they should be doing. Yeah. And I suppose going back to the whole corporate job thing where I, you know, saw the way that I started to see society from a different angle, I wanted to create a product that actually enabled people to make changes and gave people the information and inspiration to make changes rather than just receiving a product that they could use and then be done with. It's something that actually um, inspires them to make steps towards a a happier and more vibrant life. So, yeah, Mm. no, I think it's, I think it's absolutely a brilliant idea. So where are you going, Hannah? (laughs) What are are your steps? Um, Are you going to move out of drug and alcohol and stay in nutrition um, what was it? Nutrition intelligence, but food intelligence, owner of food intelligence. Yeah. Are you going to go more there? What, where do you want to go? Um, at the moment, I'm very happy with where I am. Um, I feel like I've got a very good balance with the drug and alcohol and my own business with nutrition and that kind of thing. Um, like hate, I don't agree with the Monday to Friday night to five lifestyle for myself. It just doesn't fit. Um, so I, I am very happy with the balance that I have now. 
Um, I believe that as a woman, it's particularly as a woman, I guess, um, it's always important to be employable. You never know what's going to happen, um, you know, down the line. And if I'm lucky enough to have kids or something one day, I still want to know that I can look after myself and maintain my financial independence, which I feel is probably a reason I'll always have a foot in the drug and alcohol door. Mm. Um, but you never know. I could have a bad day there one day and pull the pin on it. So I'll just mm. see what happens. We'll just stick with sliding doors, will we? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's worth yeah, we'll stick so with that. <laughs> you know, that's the way I've lived my life. It's like, oh, that looks good. Let's go over there and let me try that. And then that leads me to the next thing and, and so on. So it works well. So what I want to ask you is... What's your ritual in your day that keeps you healthy? Or what are your rituals in your day? You know, how do you create these things in order to stay sane with the drug and alcohol that you do, you know, the drug and alcohol counselling as well as what all the tutoring and everything else that you do? Tell me what you do to keep um, a good, healthy balance. Um, I make sure I exercise every day. That's my one thing. Um, I've found that... My level of physical activity has a direct reflection on my mental state. If I'm not exercising, I'm not feeling good about myself um, and I just I feel sluggish, I have brain fog, just doesn't bode well with me. Um, I try to stay away from alcohol as much as possible. I'm not a big drinker um, and I definitely don't drink during the week. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the mental strain my jobs do have on me that I need to be completely present and focused in every room I'm with a client. Mm. So I make sure that, you know, Sunday to Thursday I definitely won't have any alcohol. Um, and making sure I have a really healthy diet is my one thing as well. I notice immediately if I'm not eating well the impact that has on the rest of my life so mm. making sure I've always got healthy meals in the freezer because I do juggle a lot um with my lots of jobs that I have um yeah having meals that are ready to go in the freezer is my one big thing so you well. organized and prepared yeah mm. definitely wonderful mm. all right so both of you are on the road Mm-hmm. And I want to know how you're going <laughs> because, you know, I'm on the road all the time and, and because I do it so often, I'm, I'm pretty good with maintaining a really good lifestyle mm-hmm. so that, you know, food and everything. I want to know how you guys are going because this is the kind of the first time you've, oh, no, you've all both travelled, yeah, yeah. haven't you? But travelled yeah. with work the way you're doing it this time. So yeah. how are you going with you oh, on the road? It's been um because I drove up to uh, Brisbane from Melbourne without Hannah initially, um, it was a lot of time in the car and I feel like, you know, what Hannah was saying about needing exercise exercise every day, um, that was really hard to do that. So when you're sitting in a car for 14 hours for two days in a row, you get pretty stiff and um, irritable. So that was a bit frustrating. But I went for a surf in Byron Bay and went to the gym in Brisbane and that made me feel a bit better. But the food kind of side of things, when you, I just find that when you're up at like 4.30 in the morning and you go, 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 it's hard to eat proper meals, especially when you know, you, you don't, you're in a new place and you're not too sure where to get them from, but we do have a massive bag of fruit in the car and lots of healthy um, snack bars and things mm-hmm. like blue dinosaur bars and um, 
biscuit bars as well. Um, so that's kind of been helpful in terms of um, making sure that we don't make bad food choices along the way. But. So is dinosaurs one of the ones that goes into your um, retreat box? Yeah, they had they had they <laughs> had some in, um, yeah in June, but they've been kind enough to. Um, sponsor us with lots of bars for these events so we've got like a copious amount of bars and stuff in in the car so but they're delicious and they're healthy so they're provided you don't eat more than one (laughs) i know i know they they are delicious and you know it it is about being even just fruit you know like that's all you've got i think like everyone's going off about fruit at the moment it's not good for us and we shouldn't be eating too much of it but i think if I've got a choice between McDonald's and fruit, I'm going for the fruit. Well, that's the thing. And if you go to a gas station, a uh, petrol station, there's <laughs> my New Zealand coming <laughs> yeah, out, yeah, yeah. Um, there's often lots of sugary kind of bars and things like that. So if you've got a bag of fruit, that's much, you're still getting vitamins, minerals, um, the fiber and everything from the fruit. Um, it's much better than, you know, like that's a very healthy option compared yeah. to a bag of chips or something. It was Definitely. at the um, petrol station. <laughs> Definitely. <not gas> station. <laughs> and what about you, Hannah? What do you, um, you know, how are you going with the food and everything on this trip and, and keeping up everything? Uh, it's not been too bad to date. I think it's been good because Kate and I have such similar um, food beliefs. I guess, um, which is really good. So um, we would prefer to, you know, walk another five minutes to get a healthier food choice than Mm. just, you know, get something that's super close and convenient, um, which has been very helpful. Um, Yeah, making sure we've always got our fresh fruit and raw nuts with us, Um, you know, keeping hydrated as well, particularly because we're from Victoria um, we're not used to the heat, so <laughs> that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is hot, definitely. It's so hot. <laughs> yeah. one, one of the things, one of Jessica's um, Mains Co's very good friends, Melanie Elliott, has done is she's created a website, and I wish I could remember the name of it now. It's just eluded me for the second. But she's created a worldwide website to help people eat healthy. So you get to put in there, I've just been to this place. It was, you know, a little bit oh. like... Um, Bean Hunter, you know, mm-hmm. for looking for coffee. Yeah. So I use Bean Hunter a lot mm-hmm. because I know if I find a good coffee, I usually find good food mm-hmm. or they'll be able to tell me because they're they're specialists. They know how to do things right. Yeah. They love organic. Um, and so I'll use Bean Hunter. But, you know, this is something that she's done. Um, yeah. Her and Jess actually talked about it before Jess passed away and she vowed that she would do it and I have a feeling that it is up and going. And, Melanie, I'm sorry if you're listening and I've forgotten it, but um, I will put it on the show notes. <laughs> we'll definitely that? need yeah. to find that. I, th- yeah. I think from uh, Torquay driving through to Sydney um, is, is okay because you get Oliver's. And oh, I haven't yeah. seen Oliver's up here, but Oliver's is <laughs> an absolute lifesaver. You can go and get, you know, an, an almond milk cappuccino and a salad, um, whereas you don't necessarily find that on the roads up here <laughs> no you have to duck into byron or you have to you have to know yeah. like i know between sydney and here where i can go the sunshine coast you know i yeah. know where i can go and where's the best place to stop and yeah. plus i take a lot of stuff with me and mm-hmm. it yeah. works well yeah do you have any last words that you'd like to say oh i don't know <laughs> not off the top of my head <laughs> <laughs> any words of wisdom to young people that might be struggling um I often do something, uh, something that I talk about because I speak at my events as well. And one thing that I end, um, I end with one exercise that I end with with the people that are there is getting them to reflect on um, something they've always wanted to do, but that there's a fear in the way of stopping them, um, which is stopping them. So I get them to reflect on that and we kind of go, go through an exercise. 
And at the end, the final question I ask is, what would your 90-year-old self say to you about this particular, mm-hmm. about, you know, this particular fear or goal? And I think that that particular question is something that I take through my life and a lot of things that I do. Um, you know, you get worked up and worrying about something that's going to happen or, you know, you're stressed out about something. And I always think, what would my 90-year-old self say to me? And it's always very, you know, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. So that's just something that I kind of take through me. Great words of wisdom. It really is. You know, like I, I look at myself in my 50s, nearly 60, and I, and I go and I, I look at you girls and I look at everything that's going for you. And I go, you should have no fear. You should be able to just go with it. Because as we get older, we actually can see that. Yeah. But when we're sitting at 30, we can't see that. Yeah. So I think that that is a brilliant one. You could even ask us 60-year-olds if you want. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think, you know, with like hindsight, hindsight's a hell of a thing. You know, you see, so it's trying to get that hindsight before you're actually there. And I just also, like I've done a lot of travel as well, like Hannah, and I've kind of had this whole sliding door thing. And I just think that fear, like it, it gets in the way far too often um, of people doing things that they want to do and you know, you've got this amazing life, why not do, you know, what's the worst that can happen? So it's good mm-hmm. to kind of think ahead. <laughs> and it's imagined. Yeah. Most of it's imagined yeah. fear as opposed to what, what could happen. So yeah. great words of wisdom. Thanks. What about you, Hannah? What's your words of wisdom? Um, well, at listening to Kate speak then, it just reminded me of um, a little saying that I carry around with me. It's in my wallet. Um, when I was, I reckon, 17 or 18, I saw on the back of a toilet door one day um, a little saying that said, one opportunity, one encounter. And I wrote it on the back of a Kmart receipt and I still carry that receipt around with me every day. Um, and I think that that particular saying has definitely shaped my life. Um, I don't try to plan too much. Um, I, you know, obviously have my own goals and that kind of thing, but um, reminding yourself that you, you can't plan everything and when opportunities do arise, you should grasp them with both hands if it feels right for you at the time um, because you'll only ever have that one opportunity, opportunity to encounter that. Mm. Excellent. I would agree with you and a lot of people don't grab that. They, they hesitate because they may have fear. So um, thank you for that. And I hope for all of our listeners that are, are listening to this that they um, maybe share this with their daughters or even their sons um, because, I, you know, the, our demographic is is probably 25 to 60-year-olds. So just in case there's some older ones that want their young girls to listen to this, I think it would be a really good thing to listen to because I'm absolutely blown away by you. You know, I was just, when I walked into the house and you were here, I just enjoyed our conversation. So that's why I invited you. So I want to thank both of you for taking an hour out of your busy day. We've all been around this table. There's four of us around the table, Tanya as well, and we have been working by ourselves on our own computers, but it was just nice. The, yeah, I don't know what it was it was just really nice to be here because yeah. I should be working and I was working but I was really struggling because I've you know come back from overseas and my head's not as clear as it usually is so <laughs> I want to thank you guys for doing that with me 
Now, um, thank you everyone for listening. Remember our trips. We're off to New Zealand in October. There's a few seats left for New Zealand. We're off to Africa in 2018, in September 2018. There's a couple of seats left. And remember that it's all about challenging yourself, um, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. So for more information on that, you can go to awakenthechangewithin.com. And there will be all the events on there. And for your comments and your five-star rating, please go to www.thewellnesscouch.com slash up for a chat. And usually Kim and Karen do this, so that's all I can remember that I'm meant to be saying. So if I've forgotten (laughs) something, we'll put it on the show notes. But thank you very much um, for everybody listening, and thank you for Hannah and Kate. I've really enjoyed it. And bad luck, Kim and Karen. I got to interview them. (laughs) Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.